Well, for most of you, the power is out, and I'm so sorry. But what else is there to do but light some candles, grab your lover, and the warm wine from the fridge, and get bumping, baby. I am going to tell you what men and women want tonight on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show, the show where we educate men and women about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making relationships the best they can be. I'm Maureen McGrath. I come to the airwaves every Sunday night for you. I'm a registered nurse by training, sexpert. I have a clinical practice. I blog. I do research. Sex, sex, sex. It's this, a constant in my life. <laughs> and it's a good thing because today I pulled my back out. And uh, no, I wasn't water skiing or even shopping. I wasn't doing anything fun like that. No, I just moved a little bit forward to get my key in my car. That was it. Nothing sexy. And my back is killing me. And the only place I feel good is flat on my back. Or the only position <laughs> I feel good is in flat on my back, which is a good thing because I am a sexpert. And I probably have a lot of experience with that. But that's enough about me. This show is not about me. This show is about you. And uh, and also the show is about you, Luke. <laughs> Luke's the technical me? producer. Yeah. Oh, I just want to uh, <laughs> thank you for helping I, me. I tonight. threw my back out ironing once. Oh, that's, and that's dreadful. And that's where I realized I was getting old. <laughs> like I literally was ironing. I would have just realized never iron again. That's and all. well, I like to look pressed. <laughs> so, but um, yes, you do. No, I reached over once, and it was just like, wow, I can't walk anymore. Oh, and, and you know, such um, a anyhow. drag. Well, you've impressed all of us here, and I want to <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank good you. Lord. <laughs> Very much for all of your help with me. Thank you, Maureen. You know, and over it's been the a past pleasure working with you. While, yeah, and you're uh, you're on to uh, some greener pastures, yep. and uh, yeah. So, best of luck in Thank your you. new endeavor. And um, I'm, you know, they they're very lucky to have you, and uh, you're a very talented person and great. Uh, Musical background, all around great guy. And I know you think that I was giving out this case of Stanley Park beer on the show, but no, this is for you, my friend. That's a little bit <laughs> going away present. Are you kidding? <laughs> no. Oh, bless you. Oh, you're welcome. My goodness. My pleasure. No problem. What I just God like did the I box. Please. I like the box. And I said Aww. to them at the liquor store, do people like this? <laughs> they said, oh, yeah. Like, okay. So there you go. Anyway, thank oh, you so much. Just a little Marie. something to drown yourself in your sorrows when you're thinking about missing me. Okay? I will miss you every <laughs> Sunday, but I get to tune into you every Sunday. Fabulous. So, well, know. thank you so much. Well, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Well, I learned a few things in my clinical practice this week, if you can believe it. Um, one of the things that I learned was don't assume people will take their clothes off when they're having sex. So that surprised me a little bit. I was trying to... I asked a patient if it was painful when uh, her boyfriend penetrated her and they looked at me. Oh, by the way, I would like to put a little warning. Put the children to bed. Might be a little <laughs> risque tonight. Um, my favorite kind of show. Uh, so I asked them I, and if it was painful. And they both gave me this perplexed look that... And he's finally said, well, she wouldn't know because it never happens because she doesn't take her pants off. And I thought, okay, treatment option number one, <laughs> remove the pants. <laughs> so that that made my job easy anyway. So, I mean, I actually, this couple was lovely. And uh, we laughed so hard at some of the different um, ways they 
express their love for one another. And I was and they kept having to clarify things for me because I was assuming a lot. Never assume anything. Um, one of the other things I've noticed in my clinical practice of late is the biggest complaint from men. And I hear it repeatedly. I've actually had a large increase in the number of males coming to see me in my clinical practice. Uh, so you can uh, book an appointment at Crossroads Clinic if you like, or I also have a practice over in North Vancouver. Uh, so they seem to be coming out of the woodwork. But probably the number one complaint, uh, I've never heard this before, women don't initiate enough. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> Anyway, there's many reasons women don't initiate. Women don't even sometimes like to hug a man because they're afraid he's going to actually want to have sex. Uh, a lot of women will say that. And the number one complaint I hear from women is men's anger, relates to men's anger. So this is a bit of a vicious cycle. So uh, ladies, maybe you want to give it a go and, and start with um, initiating sex. And guys, get your anger in check and, and be grateful after you've had sex because I've also heard that. Women will say, well, I did have sex with him, and he's still angry. He's still mean to me. He still loses his cool. He still has a temper. So this is a very common issue. Anyway, these are some of the problems we're trying to solve here on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. You know, the funny thing is most guys, you know, and if a lot of them are angry or whatever, lose their cool, but most guys fantasize about meeting and being with an aggressive woman. And so, ladies, it's okay. I, I see Luca shaking his head. <laughs> no, Not shaking it was my head. No. I was, I was, I was like, I was oh. like, hmm. <laughs> okay. It was. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a very common fantasy to be with an aggressive woman um, in the bedroom, and because really, men don't like women to be aggressive in the boardroom. We know that for sure. Your um, and so it's okay to let your inner beast out every now and again. And initiate even just a little bit of very naughty sex. That's always fun. So guys would settle for just a little initiation. I hear that constantly. She never initiates. And and she always agrees. She will always say, yes, that's true. I don't. Uh, some women hate sex. I, I That's a common theme as well. And there's a number of reasons women hate sex. Women seem to love sex when they want to have babies. That's something else. A lot of men will tell me that it was fine when a woman was trying to get pregnant, but since then it has decreased. Um, I think it's in the movie When Harry Met Sally, where Sally says she never married a guy because she'd heard from, she and her boyfriend at the time, never married this particular guy, she and her boyfriend at the time agreed that marriage was just a nightmare for a relationship because all of their married friends, once they got married, they never ended up having sex again. And that seems to be a common theme as well associated with marriage. So take a look at all that. Uh, a sexual relationship, intimacy, uh, loving and touching one another is very important for every aspect of your relationship. I actually think it's probably the most important aspect of any relationship myself. You can always pay the bills or find the money, but you know, having sex is free and it makes you feel great and close and, and that you can deal with any problem that comes along in life. You know, you can't expect uh, women to love sex when the education for women has been so poor and some of the religious dogma has been negative as well. Two of the most common words associated with masturbation for women are sin and wrong. So those are the messages that women are getting. Also, if women who have been women who have been sexually abused as a child, I had a patient in my office this week who I had seen her this couple many times. They had been married about 
six or seven years. They were a young couple, and they had never consummated the relationship. They had never actually had sex. And I ask all of my patients at first visit if they are sexually active for a number of reasons, if there are any troubles, if they're not, why they're not. There's many medical reasons associated with it. And this woman told me that she, uh, uh, not not only do I ask them if they're sexually active, I definitely ask them that. Uh, just because I want to find out. Um, But no, uh, I also asked them if they have ever had unwanted sexual advances or if they have been sexually abused. And this woman told me no. And so the treatment wasn't advancing. She and her husband were not having sex. And I couldn't figure it out because I took her no as the truth. And she actually told me several weeks into the treatment that she had been sexually abused as a child. And that requires entirely different treatment. So you may be thinking you're dealing with one thing when you're dealing with something else. That's why honesty in any relationship is vital. So as you can see, there are many issues around sexuality and sexual health and things that may occur when we are children that may impact our sex life for the rest of our lives. I'm going to remind you tonight on the program why it's important to have open dialogue at the developmental age that is appropriate for your children before they go back to school this year. I'm also going to be talking a little bit about Oliver Sacks, the neurologist and acclaimed author who died today. He explored some of the brain's strangest pathways and wrote stories like the man who mistook his wife for a hat. I had a lot of respect for this man. I love this man. And there were things about him that I could relate to. By no means am I comparing myself to this amazing person. But sometimes in life, you wonder why you have certain obsessions and Um, certain passions, and and he explains some of that as well. We're also going to be talking about sexual orientation with my friend and colleague, Dr. Jim Faust. He's been on the program before. He is a professor of psychology and neuroscience from Concordia University, and going to be answering some of your emails as well. And also tonight, are you a married woman or a woman in a relationship who is inclusive of your single female friends? Do you make assumptions or are you insensitive at times to your single friends? Have you dropped your single friends of 10 years or more for a guy you've known for six months? Let's talk about it. Up next, stay with me, baby. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back, my precious things. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. You can always call me about any of the subjects that I'm talking about tonight. Try and refrain from calling me about BC Hydro, (laughs) unless it's interesting and sexy. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Lots of subjects we're covering tonight, so uh, do give me a call. I just wanted to mention about Oliver Sacks. He was a neurologist and acclaimed author. He wrote a number of books, uh, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Uh, Also, he was probably best known for the movie The Awakenings, in which he went, um, it was about a group of patients with an atypical form of encephalitis at the Beth Abraham Hospital in the Bronx in New York City. And when he started his clinical career there in 1966, many of the patients were catatonic. They were locked inside themselves for decades because of this, what was called at the time, the sleeping sickness. He gave them the drug L-DOPA, which was the beginning of that medication being recognized as a treatment for similar symptoms for patients who had Parkinson's disease. And as he gave them the L-DOPA, much against the wisdom of other physicians, 
the staff, he and the staff watched as the people um, reemerged into a world that they did not recognize. They'd basically been asleep for a number of decades. And some responded better than others, both to the medication and also their changed circumstances. He was an author who brought some of the struggles and wonderful situations um, and diseases uh, that people suffered with to the public eye. He introduced us to Tourette's and Asperger's and some of those symptoms, that, uh, some of those syndromes that we wonder about um, and are very intrigued by. I remember that, not that particular, but I remember when I first started in nursing and I would I would come home and, and tell these stories to friends and family and, and people were really interested in the medical conditions that these patients had and, and the impact that it had on the family. At the time, I was working at a pediatric intensive care unit in Boston, Massachusetts, Boston Children's Hospital. And I could see some of these uh, situations and how some patients, you just think, how can you even deal with this situation that's going on with your child? And they'd say, well, the person you know, two doors down is having such a terrible time. It's so much worse than my situation. Every single situation was tragic. Marriages broke up as a result of it, and you could really see the impact that health had on not just the life of the person who was suffering, but on the entire family. And I I could see that people were interested in talking about health conditions, especially lay people. And, And as the years went on, I did always think that there might be uh, an opportunity or that it would be a good idea to share some of the stories. And and likewise, in the field that I am in today, in sexual health and um, relationships, they're really interesting stories. And you, and you, because it's so private and so confidential and uh, people tell me their innermost, their deepest, and or they email me these, uh, deepest aspects of their lives and of their intimate lives and of their sex lives. And of course, I will lump them all together and uh, tell the story uh, so that the theme is still there. And But, but they can be incredibly interesting uh, situations and cases. And that's why I love the work that I do. And Dr. Oliver Sachs loved the work that he did. He is the presiding genius of neurological drama, as some people called him. But, um, yeah, so he was uh, quite an interesting person. He, too, loved music, and he felt that Mozart made him a better neurologist. I think music has an impact on everybody. Uh, So, anyway, a little honor to Dr. Oliver Sacks, who changed the world and shared some great stories with us, and I hope to do that for you here on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. That's my intention, anyway. Um, and by all means, share your stories with me. And yes, you're right. I will not judge you and I will not tell anybody. I will never disclose uh, a name. So in the privacy will always be guarded. So, and, and a lot of people think that they're alone. They're the only ones who never took their pants off for having sex. But guess what? You know, that is not the only patient I've seen in my clinical practice who has not taken their pants off or other clothes. You know, another patient one time told me that she, and she was a lovely woman, beautiful woman, trim Uh, And she said, uh, I've never taken my shirt off. And she said, you know how your stomach, and a lot of women are bothered by their body image. And she said, you know how your stomach is, you know, hanging out. And just, she said, you're on all fours and your stomach is hanging down. I just don't want my lover to see that. And so it's not uncommon. And this is how 
some these are this is some of the ways that people deal with issues that they may have with their with their body image or or whatever but people are not alone we we all compensate in one way or another and how about single women it's not easy for single women so are you and especially when they're dealing with other females other friends other perhaps married women so there's a bunch of myths about um being a single woman at midlife uh, and especially when it comes to being invited or um, I had a friend who asked me to do this subject uh, about and and interestingly enough you know some of the research on this or some of the um, words that are written is like they're not all cat ladies in their 40s well my friend happens to be a cat lady in her 40s (laughs) that requested this but you know, they're not all cat ladies in their 40s, but it can be tough to be single in midlife. There are clearly challenges to being single in midlife, and they are practical ones uh, to more deeply personal ones. And some women say it's plain difficult when you live on your own. There's no handy husband. Well, single ladies, let me tell you something. There's actually, there are no handy husbands. So you may not have a handy husband. Even someone who has a husband is likely not handy either. You're giving men way too much credit um that little handy husband thing is a total myth sister so don't worry about that um you run the risk of being ripped off by like car salesmen or workmen that you hire well not necessarily this could be true i suppose but um i one time had a contractor who friends told me he was at the bar (laughs) i was paying him and his five workers and I, uh, he was drinking, and so I'm so happy right now. I'm going to give a shout-out to I happen to have a contractor right now, and uh, he is amazing, and uh, he's prompt, he's efficient, he's, he's uh, organized, he finishes the F word. He actually finishes what he says he's going to do, and he's sober. Anyway, the last guys built the house 18 inches too tall because they were at the pub the whole time, and... Uh, They couldn't really read the plans. Anyway, uh, so you may or may not um, be ripped off by workmen you hire. And when when single women have to move or lift things, they've always got to call somebody to help them. There's nobody just around to help them. Life can be overwhelming for single mothers. And in particular, they feel the weight of the responsibility managing so much on their own. You know, I actually had... uh, a couple of friends who split up, their children were babies, and they were just devastated that they would have to give their baby over to their ex-husband now to go on vacation or whatever, spend time with them, and they hated it. And then after like a couple of weeks, they absolutely loved it because they actually got some more time. Um, Apparently, single women are not uh, included in dinner parties and that that kind of plan because they're going to throw off the balance. We don't have much time, but I do want to get to this. Um, a lot of single women feel that married women think that if they invite the single woman who does turn up in shorts and looking fabulous because she has all this time to work out and she's fantastic, <laughs> that she will want the married woman's husband. Most married women are probably thinking, take my husband. I don't care. He is yours. You try living with him for a while. Um, But being married doesn't give you the right to be insensitive. And you know what? Nobody wants your husband either. Um, But anyway, we have to be very mindful about including our single friends, if we're married, including them in our lives, uh, including not 
not making all of these assumptions about single women just because they look better because they've never had any children. Um, that doesn't mean anything. And you know what? There are no guarantees in life. And a lot of single people can remind us of that, that um, the you know, there are realistic perspectives on the future. You never know how you're going to end up. When I come back, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Jim Faust. He is a neuroscientist and psychologist. We're going to be talking about sexual orientation. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. I'm Maureen McGrath, host of the Sunday Night Sex Show here on 980. I uh, This week in my clinical practice, I asked a patient, as I do all of them, if she was sexually active, and she said, well... I am married. And I said, well, that means no to me. And she said, well, you are right. I am not sexually active. So I said, can you get going so your husband doesn't email me, the one woman talking sex in BC? Just saying, keeping it real. That's all. I'm Maureen McGrath. And uh, here to talk to me about some of these puzzles about sexuality is... Dr. Jim Faust, he's professor of psychology and neuroscience at Concordia University. Hello, Jim. Hey, how are you, Maureen? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Good, good. Now, you're supposed to be here with me last week, but you had some energy trouble back well, we there. We had a power failure. You had a power failure. You, you guys are teetering on the edge there. <laughs> we are, we are. I actually thought you were upset with me because I called you the aphrodisiac professor. <laughs> Why would I be upset with that? I never know. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Aphrodisiac. Now, we're going to be talking about, thank you so much for joining me, by the way, and no we're going to talk talking about the big sex at uh, our sex research at the University of Lethbridge. Who would have thought? Uh, but I have an email to read to you first, if you don't mind, and maybe we sure. can kind of answer the questions uh, in this. So, hi, Maureen. There have been lots of issues with Lucy's and my relationship over the past 14 years. Suffice it to say, Lucy and I got in a fight on over my view on homosexuality last year, and she threw me out of where we were living. I had an affair with my ex-girlfriend. She let me come back, and since we have worked hard to renew our relationship, but she had a partial hysterectomy about four months ago. She is fine now, but our sexual relationship has suffered for years. She had had infidelity as well, two girlfriends and a few guys. Is there still hope for us? I always want to be here with her. I am just not sure we can ever be intimate again because of trust issues on both sides. Help. So I said, okay, Tom, what are your views on homosexuality? And he said, well, I used to be quite an a-hole. I used to be in a breakaway Latter-day Saint. I used to be in a breakaway Latter-day Saint. And as you can expect, they go by a very narrow mindset of what Paul said about homosexuality in the Bible. So I followed along. I've been on a spiritual journey since a year ago. I'm sorry about what I thought I believed then. I just want to share uh, the message of our heavenly parents and our sacred blessings that we only can claim if we are all brothers and sisters in love. Okay. Wow. Yeah, huh? <laughs> now, that's, a, that's more than just a spiritual journey. I think he's, he's been uh, down the meat grinder and back up again, but uh, good on him for uh, kind of coming to his senses about humanity. Absolutely. And, and, but look at all the damage that it caused and the impact it had given the teachings of his church, basically, sure. and, and his sure. beliefs. And that, that I see a lot, as I'm, I'm sure you do. Um, well, you know, belief is an incredibly powerful thing, right? I mean, it, it kind of fuels the uh, placebo effect. It, it, it 
kind of gives us a uh, you know a grounding, but unfortunately, sometimes the grounding that we have it just flies in the face of every piece of scientific evidence that you could possibly imagine, and it flies in the face of what all species need, which is diversity. Diversity. We don't need to all be the same. We actually need to all be different, and that also includes things like sexual orientation. It includes things like, well, I mean, you could even imagine if it's not just gay, straight, lesbian, trans, something of that nature, it could also be the features that we find attractive. There's not one set of features that any one culture finds attractive. So we all kind of develop this individual nature, and it is our nature to take the experiences we have, mix them with sort of the you know, the, the drive that we know we're compelled to have and put those things together to give us a, a set of characteristics that we find attractive. And some of those, you know, we find attractive at a distance, the, the, the sex of the person, the gender of the person, the, perhaps even the race of the person, in addition to the body type, the hair color, the, the, I mean, you know, the list goes on. You know, it doesn't mean that that person we're going to be able to be with because that person may have a lot of baggage. That person may share political beliefs that we think are ridiculous or whatever it is. We may not be able to talk to that person. Um, things may erupt in a relationship. Even though you love someone dearly, you kind of can't live with that person. So there's, I mean, it's, it, frankly, it's amazing to me that two people can actually be together for more than a year without, you know, kind of killing each other. Absolutely. And, you know, it's amazing to me at how many couples stay together when you hear about their lives. I had a, a patient recently who said, well, I made a big mistake. I went home for lunch and that's her time and I'm not allowed to be in the house during lunch. And and she lost it on me. And I said, you know, you own the house. Yes, uh, you have every right to go in that house and, and the treatment, you know, how people treat one another in relationships, I mean, sometimes we can't help it, and um, but but how long people remain in relationships, especially sexless relationships? Oh my God, yeah. Which, I mean, sex is you know, I mean, relationships need building blocks. Obviously, they need communication. They need you know shared experiences, things that are special to the two individuals. But you know, building blocks are great, but without grout, those building blocks are not going to stay up. And to me. Sex is the grout in any kind of a relationship. It seals those building blocks together. It keeps those people feeling intimate with one another. And if that's taken for granted, if people don't make time for sex and they don't make it important in their lives and in their relationship, I mean, the, the, the grout goes and the building blocks tumble down. That's right. And there seems to be a bit of a vicious cycle, though, when people have issues in the relationship that are unresolved or, or a woman finds out that her husband has been texting another woman or sexting sure. another woman or seeking another woman um, or vice versa, a man finds out. Or, or another man, for that matter. Or, or another man, exactly. Um, did I say that? What, <laughs> if a, oh, yes, if a woman, you know, if the man finds out, whatever, um, right. the, the trust is lost. Um, I did want to also mention boring sex, too, which I, I'll get to afterward, um, because the same old, same old sex is another big complaint as well. But, you know, you lose that trust. How do you get, in, and in this situation, they've had uh, extramarital affairs and with men and women and everything. And, um, you know, how does, you know, how much neurochemistry is involved here? How much are oh hormones God, I mean, involved? 
you know, the whole thing is neurochemical because your brain is neurochemical and your brain is doing the, interpret- the interpreting of all of this. You know, one of the things that I think people do in an extramarital affair is seek what they're not getting. Even if it's per- even if it's only perceived, the other you know the other partner really wants to give it, but they don't really have a language to talk to each other about it. They don't have a kind of a neutral ground to talk to each other about it. That's a good thing that kind of sex therapy can provide a couple is kind of a neutral ground that they can actually sort of in a very free and open way say what they need to one another, right? I mean, one of the great things about Masters and Johnsons old sex therapy back in the 60s was you bring these people in who haven't touched each other in like 16 years and they're in this very sex-charged but very positive environment with other couples all talking about their fantasies, the things that they would like and you know for for some people they would have this kind of reaction like I didn't know you 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 like that? You want me to do that? You you like it when I dance around in 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 lederhosen? Like what? You really like that? Wow, I didn't know that. And and people learn because they don't talk to each other about this. I think because I mean, we're not taught to talk to each other about no, this. No, we're so. not. And we don't have a good language to do it. We don't have a have a comfortable language to do that. And I think I think that's one of the big problems is that, you know, until that is developed, which it can be developed in a therapeutic situation, people really don't know how to say, oh, I really like it when you do this to me. You know, not bark out an order like, do that to me, do this, do that. But, you know, I like it when this happens. I really like it when you do, oh, my God, you want me? Wow. Like, what a difference that makes, right? And, and so, you know, after being in a highly sexually charged environment where they can't touch each other for a whole week, and then in the second week, they begin to, you know, develop this idea, what Master Johnson called sensate focus, where they can, you know, touch each other's face and then touch each other's face and nipples. And men, I mean, my God, men discovering their nipples. What a, what a, what a rocket science that is, right? Well, well thank and, God I had this one patient who did discover his nipples because his partner of four years, they were not having very pleasurable sex, and he, she said, he said he masturbated, and she said she helped him, and I said, oh, do you you know, use your hand and helping him. And she said, oh, no. And and he said that his nipples were erogenous and she was rubbing his nipples to help him with wonderful. masturbation. Like, you know, he didn't think it was so wonderful. He would have preferred her hand somewhere well, Right, else. right, I know. But I mean, <laughs> yes, I mean that people was... can stumble upon these things. You know, earlobes, nipples, the erogenous zones, which are, which are, you know, beautiful ways of increasing arousal. Absolutely. And, you know, we're going to go to break, Jim, if you don't mind hanging on with me, Dr. Jim Faust. And I'd like to talk about genital arousal and subjective sexual arousal that is not concordant, especially in some women. I'm Maureen McGrath, and we're going to get back to you just as soon as we can. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Dr. Jim Faust is my guest. He's a professor of psychology and neuroscience and aphrodisia. Uh, hello, Dr. Faust. Hey. <laughs> you stayed with me. You know, there's so many questions that people have and people can't understand. We're talking about uh, sexual orientation. One of the um, questions I here from the people who have these particular, or let's call them atypical sexual interests, are they considered a disorder, non-pathological, or adaptive? People who are uh, interested in, you know, nylons, for example, or, you know, cross-dressing, or um, get, you know, diapers for whatever. They have some. So what's, uh, is that driven by neurochemistry? 
Well, the paraphilias are still in the uh, DSM, the kind of the Bible of psychiatry, mm-hmm. but, but they're only there when they're a problem. And I think uh, in the last 20 years or so, people have been making them less and less of a problem, mostly because they tend to find subcultures, they tend to create subcultures in themselves where you can meet like-minded people right. to be able to enjoy this together, you know, as opposed to meeting someone who thinks it's absolutely disgusting that you're doing what you're doing with the nylons. And, I, you know, I think it's interesting that when it's a problem, it's a really big problem, mostly because it's a problem between two people who can't agree on it. But when it's not a problem, it's actually something that the two people use together to kind of give sort of oomph to their sex life. Yeah, and I've met both kinds of couples, and um, but the most common is the man who's hiding this and is ashamed right. about it and is wondering what is wrong with him. But there's really nothing wrong with him. There may be it may have an impact on his marriage or his relationship because well, he's living a, a secret. Learning. There's a lot of learning that goes on with this. I mean, you know, when you have your first sexual experiences, and this is even true of rats, when they have their first sexual experiences, whatever is with those sexual experiences becomes almost like Pavlov's dogs associated with it. Right. And this changes the way the brain looks at those stimuli. So, for example, if you're, you know, the first really good sex you had was masturbating with nylons on or feeling nylons or feeling someone's legs in nylons that then became a recurrent theme in your fantasies while you masturbated, you know, you're going to gravitate toward erotic material that depicts people in nylons. You're going to look at and you become totally focused on nylons as something that needs to be there. I mean, you know. It's easy to say, oh, well, that's just, you know, those people who have some kind of a problem. But you know what? We can do this in rats. We can make this happen in rats. If I give a male rat his first sexual experiences, which are good sexual experiences, that is to orgasm or ejaculation, when, when he's wearing a little rodent jacket, and it's not a leather-studded jacket. It's really just a kind of a ni- nylon and Velcro tethering jacket. But <laughs> if he's wearing that, it turns out if I take that jacket off him, he can't have sex unless he has his jacket on. Interesting. So I, I think there's. I, I think the brain isn't just wired for what most people construe to be normal behavior, whatever that means. It's actually wired for Pavlovian conditioning. It's wired to take the environment and say, "Oh, this is how that works," and it, then that's what you do. Exactly. Uh, getting over to genital arousal and subjective sure. sexual arousal, which are which are often are mismatched in women, and we see that in uh, laboratory research, especially some of the research that Dr. Lori Brado has done, Mm -hmm. uh, the preeminent researcher, sex researcher here in Vancouver. Um, So why is it that they are not condordant in in some women? What is it? So women can be watching porn and feel that they're not aroused, but actually their genitalia is demonstrating that they're lubricated, that they're aroused. So I think one of the things that happens with general arousal in women is that the arousal is largely internal. So blood has to flow into the, into the vagina, into the vaginal walls, where it's then routed into the clitoris, into the labia, and sort of around the vagina where you get vaginal engorgement. And internal blood flow isn't really sensed consciously by people, hmm. whereas external blood flow is. You know when the blood flows out of your fingers when it's cold that right. now it's unbearably painfully cold and you've got to get inside. And likewise, when blood flows to your fingers and it's too hot, you know, you're going to throw the covers off. For Do example. you think those so, women are less in touch with their bodies? Would that, well, it's interesting. Is that why mindfulness helps? Meredith Shivers at Queen's University has found that 
sort of as you ascend the Kinsey scale, that is, as you go from heterosexual to predominantly homosexual, women tend to be more concordant. So the, the real problem are the heterosexual women, especially you know, younger women, who maybe don't have the experience to know what their vaginal state is. The other thing that's interesting is that I think the vaginal state is more experienced whether it's subconscious or even conscious, more experienced by women when they ovulate, that is on the day of ovulation, right. rather than the rest of the month. And, you know, women are on a lunar cycle. So, you know, you have a bunch of days there where increased vaginal blood flow may not be experienced, but on that day it is. It is, absolutely. And, right, and I think, that, I think that just with more experience comes more knowledge of one's body. Now, you know, we're not training women to kind of wear indwelling dildos so that you could feel the pressure around it. It may be the No, case but that's that, an idea. No. Yeah, well, <laughs> Benoit balls were invented for a reason, right? <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, it may be the case that men who don't have this concordance issue have an Audi, and the Audi blood flows into it. And if you're wearing underwear, you know, even a 5% increase in blood flow is going to give a tugging sensation down there. And mm -hmm. I think that men are aware of that and much more aware of that than women are women of are. this internal blood flow. And we touched on, on homosexuality. Can sexual orientation change on its own or can it be changed with some type of intervention? No, I think you're, you're that from the get-go. Um, that's one of the things that's probably laid down very, very early in, in perinatal life. And you don't really know it I mean, you might be, you know, engaged in some kind of what, what they call gender nonconforming behavior, you know, when your boy wants to dress as a girl and believes he's a girl or she's a girl, and when your daughter does the same thing in terms of being a boy, that's a good indication that you may end up gay, but right. it's not a 100%. And some of these individuals, you know, at puberty simply revert into being very girly or very male, very masculine. Some of them really go the entire distance and become a transsexual. Some of them actually even discover, and Lori Brado's done research on this, that they become asexual, right. that they just don't really think about it at all. And so, so the question really is, what, you know, is it, you know, if, if we pitch sex as something that's only about reproduction, then it's easy to understand how it becomes problematic. If we pitch it as something that's for fun and pleasure, and especially intimacy, in a, in a couple situation, well, then it can kind of be whatever it wants to be. And it can be whatever you think it is for you. Exactly. And that's what we're trying to accomplish here on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. And Jim, it's always my pleasure to have you as a guest. I'm going to have to have you back because I have about 100 more questions for you. Sure. No problem. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. Okay, Maureen. All right. Take care now. You too. All right. Uh, it's just a, such an interesting subject. Do you find it interesting, too? I hope so. Uh, but we're going to be wrapping up this show very shortly, so I am going to get back to you just as soon as I can. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Well, we've got to wrap this up. There's lots to learn about sex and sexuality, and I even have a lot to learn. But, you know, that's... Uh, it's helpful to be curious and to want to take things to the next level, whatever that level is for you. So I hope you've enjoyed the show. I do want to just put out a little bit of a community service warning here. The kids are going to be heading back to school next week. And, and who do we trust almost as much as we trust nurses? Uh, we trust teachers. But that's why I think it's important that we talk about this subject at every avenue of life 
And when kids go back to school, this reminded me, or I was reminded of this because a North Vancouver music teacher, Chad Smith, has been charged with sexual exploitation following allegations he was sexually linked to a student for more than two years. These are allegations. He was arrested and charged in connection to the sexual assault of a female student spanning more than two years. So this is something that I think, you know, we're thinking of school supplies and, and seeing friends again, but I think this is an important conversation you need to have your, with your children Regardless of age, I think there can be an appropriate conversation at any age, whether they are five years old, 10 years old, male or female, transgendered, uh, whatever, LGBTQ, everybody needs to have had this information because they need the confidence to be able to say this is inappropriate or to know and then to go and tell somebody because the one of the ways that people are helped uh, or they are able to heal is if they have been validated. So they can go to a parent or a trusted adult and tell them something happened. They know what's appropriate. They know what is off limits and how to set some boundaries uh, at the very least. And so this is a conversation everybody needs to have because if you've been sexually abused as a child or sexually assaulted, it will impact your life for the rest of your life. So have open dialogue appropriate for the age level of your child about inappropriate touching advances, etc. And it's never okay that a teacher have a relationship with a child. Um, anyway, so we're going to um, wrap this baby up. You can go to my website, www.backtothebedroom.ca. You can email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com or sextalk at cknw.com. You can follow me on Twitter at back the number two, the bedroom. You can always book an appointment with me. Uh, no problem. You can email me and I'll uh, guide you there or you can give Crossroads Clinic a call. Uh, remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. Once again, Luke, thank you so much for all of your technical expertise. Thank you, Maureen. Putting this uh, show together. I really appreciate it. Wish you all the best of luck. And thank you to my guest, Dr. Jim Faust, psychologist and neuroscientist at the Concordia University in Montreal. So do stay warm, stay together, and uh, weather the storm. You know where I suggest you be to weather it. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show.